Hello, everyone. Welcome to the second episode of the Film for Fans podcast. You are home for movie news, reviews, and movie fan views. This is your podcast from movie fans for movie fans. I'm your host, Ryan Dunleavy, and I'm joined once again by my esteemed co-host, Rob Dunham. How you doing, Rob? Top of the evening to all of you. <laughs> Very nice, very nice. So we got a great show planned tonight. Um, so first off, we're gonna be talking about some of the news items this week, and then we're gonna get into some discussions, including a uh, discussion about, is Charlize Theron the best female action movie star right now? Mm. And of course, we will hit up our playlist, and we got some good items on the playlist and the watch list for you this evening. So. Let's jump right in. So it seems like a weekly update. Can we, can we just get our, our new segment sponsored by Syncope? Because <laughs> it's basically um, the Christopher Nolan news featuring Christopher Nolan at this point. Yes. So when we, when we left off the podcast last week, we were all sad and disappointed to learn that Tenant had been completely removed from the movie schedule with only vague hopes that it would get back on at some point in 2020. Lo and behold, one, kind of one week later, it's back on the schedule. So, for now. Yeah, for now. <laughs> so we'll see, we'll see what that means. I mean, everything right now with movies is constantly changing. Uh, but yes, Tenant, the Christopher Nolan blockbuster release, is now back on the schedule. It is first slated to hit theaters internationally on August 26th, and then is scheduled for Labor Day weekend, September 3rd release in the U.S. Um, I don't know what you thought about this, but for me, the fact that it went back on the schedule as fast as it did, and that it was as close as it did, um, I took that as a good sign. I mean, it's hard for me to be overly optimistic about anything these days when it comes to anything. <laughs> yeah. Um, I hear I, you. I, I hope it sticks to the schedule. And if it does stick to the schedule, I'm going to have to spend at least a minimum of a week hidden in a spoiler-free bunker, probably disconnected from the internet, because if this movie gets ruined for me before I see it, there's there's going to be consequences. Yeah, I saw it was going to release in Canada on August 27th. And so part of my mind is like, Canada's not that far away. Look at me, I'm Canadian now. I'm pretty sure like Canada's like not letting anyone from the US in. So yeah. that's, uh, that would be a problem. I think we just need to walk up and say, uh, uh, I'm here to see that Nolan film, eh? And then they <laughs> let us in. Yes, yes. Score. By the way, today is Christopher Nolan's birthday, so congrats. Yay! To my favorite director. Happy birthday. Hopefully, you're soon after your birthday, we will get to see your new movie. So I <laughs> uh, don't want to spend a ton of time on that, but I thought it was good news that it went back on the schedule because it really sounded like we were going to be looking maybe late in the year at best. So we'll that see. Is some good news, TM. What was that? <laughs> that is some good news, TM. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll take anything we can get in the positive category. And it looks like the rescheduled openings for the major theaters are now like August 21st. And there's some films scheduled to come out later in August. So who knows? We'll see what happens. But there we are. 
So um, in other news, uh, there's a lot of news actually that came out of Comic-Con this past week. Um, a lot of movie related news. And I wanted to start with Zack Snyder and the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League because I found this story hilarious. I just found this incredibly funny. So um, the history of the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League is this. Uh, he was originally the director on Justice League that the movie that debuted in 2017. And that film had a ton of production issues and script rewrites and a bunch of bunch of issues going the whole way through. And then Zack Snyder had to step out and drop out of the picture in post-production, uh, tragically because of the death of his daughter. But Joss Whedon took over. And then once Joss Whedon took over, uh, he led a bunch of reshoots, a bunch of recutting, changed the tone and tenor of the film. And when it released, it was a box office disappointment, which led to a whole bunch of fans online wondering what it would look like had Zack Snyder completed the film he intended. And so it became this kind of like internet viral uh, sensation of release the Snyder cut, give me the Zack Snyder cut. And it was one of those internet jokes that nobody thought would happen until this year when it was announced that the studio is going to let Zack Snyder come back in, recut, re-edit the film, and release a version of his film on HBO Max um, at the beginning of next year. So that's the backstory. Now, the story that came out of Comic-Con is hilarious because... Um, it, Zack Snyder went off a little bit on the, the Joss Whedon cut. By the way, did you know that Comic-Con was even happening virtually? Because I didn't until it was over. No, I didn't know that at all. And apparently <laughs> there was all this angst about the fact that only tens of thousands of people were watching the panels on YouTube when I had no idea they even existed. Yeah, not great promotion <laughs> there, Comic-Con. Yeah, they didn't advertise that too well. <laughs> So, jo uh, Zack Snyder went off on the Joss Whedon cut. In fact, he stated that he is not going to use a single frame from the Joss Whedon version. So, that's pretty radical. What, what did you think when you heard, uh, when you heard about uh, Zack? Uh, I am very skeptical because Zack Snyder is also the person who did release his fully formed vision and made a movie called Sucker Punch. <laughs> so not sure how much faith I have in him to produce a high quality, well written, organized film. Uh, I just, I, I don't see it being some kind of revelation that makes it way better than what ended up coming out because I just thought, what came out was too flawed by itself. I don't think it can be redeemed personally. Um, I'm sure that some people feel differently about the Justice League, um, but I thought Justice League, Batman versus Superman were both incredibly disappointing. Mm -hmm. And I don't see how they can bandage over that and make it a great movie somehow. Yeah, I, I don't hate the dawn of justice as much as a lot of people do but it is i mean it's hard to say that it's a great movie by any stretch of the imagination 
but yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think this may end up being one of those things where it it's better off existing in people's minds as the, what if, what if Zach had done this? And then when you actually see the reality of it, um, that's going to break the bubble a little bit. I don't know. I mean, they're spending 20 or 30 million to let him recut this and re-edit it and, and do all this stuff. So they obviously think that this is going to be worth something and it's going to be valuable. I, it will, it will remain to be seen if there's enough to cobble together a great movie out of what they produced. I wouldn't be opposed to be being proved wrong. I just, I, I don't have a lot of hope for it out of yeah. the gate. Yeah. And how much shooting did they do for this movie that he feels like he can cut an entirely All different right. version using none of the frames of the original movie? Like, how is that even possible? <laughs> Jeez. And uh, the one cool thing about it was that apparently he's going to put back in the uh, the black Superman suit. So the scene mm. with black Superman suit. So that's that'll be something. Woo! Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it's I mean it's it's just kind of funny to watch one director go off on another director and and just they're not getting Christmas cards from each other this year. No, no, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> So the DC, the DC movies have been plagued by a lot of different things. And this is just another, another version of it. So, um, yeah, we'll see, we'll see what happens, but, uh, it'll be a big release for HBO max. Uh, and, uh, hopefully that that will increase their subscriber base. Hopefully they'll have the Roku app by then. So I can actually watch it on my TV. Ah, yes. <laughs> so, uh, moving right along, uh, Another one that came out of Comic-Con was that Natalie Portman uh, was doing an interview and she talked about the upcoming Thor film, the new Thor film, uh, Lord and Thunder. That was supposed to start shooting this summer, but obviously because of the pandemic, things got canceled, but she gave an updated schedule. It is due to start filming at the beginning of the year. And... I, for one, am glad to have her back in the Thor series. I really enjoyed her character in the first two Thor films. And I don't know about you, but for me, the Thor movies uh, for the MCU have been some of my favorites. I love the Thor movies. What are your thoughts? Uh, I, I have been a big fan of Thor. The only one that disappointed me a little bit was The Dark World, mm -hmm. uh, just because it seemed like it was a bit convoluted and not not necessarily straightforward easy to follow um is the the tone seemed a bit strange to me in that one especially with natalie portman's character uh but i have enjoyed seeing her in the films and um i love ragnarok i think that might be yeah probably my top three um marvel movies uh taika watiti is a huge reason for that and mm. i'm like i'm i'm as much as i'm not Looking forward to the Zack Snyder cut of Dawn of Justice. <laughs> um, I'm uh, un unfathomably, unreasonably looking forward to this movie, Love and Thunder, because of Watiti, Christian Bale, Natalie Portman. Just everything about this movie has me excited. Yes. And I, I have no reason to believe that it won't deliver on that. Yeah, and Watiti has proved to be a a very competent director. I, I've enjoyed what he puts together. He's, he's quite good. And uh, his films have a lot of energy 
a lot of energy and a lot of a lot of humor to him. So and he's just able to pull off that irreverent sense of humor that makes the best Marvel movies uh, just go up a notch. Yeah. Um, like from his writing with the character he voiced himself, Korg, and, and Ragnarok, and just everything that he put in that film for humor, just it really it's distinctive and it sets it apart from some of the other movies that have gone for a more serious tone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So it will be good to have, it'll be interesting to see what phase four of the Marvel movies are like. Um, it'll be interesting to see where they go from here um, because that huge long 10 year project that culminated in Endgame was one of the greatest things that has ever been pulled off in the history of cinema to tie together that many characters and that many films over that length of time. And so it almost felt like a good ending point. So it will be interesting to see what the phase four movies are like. Okay, so another part of the the Comic-Con storyline, there was a panel basically honoring Charlie's Theron about how great she is in action movies and how many she has been in. So that led me to consider a question, and we're going to discuss this for a few minutes here. Is Charlize Theron the top female action star in the modern era? In this kind of iteration, this generation of movies, is she the top star? So lately what we've seen is she's been in a ton of action movies i mean you have mad max fury road you have she was in the fate of the furious she was in prometheus she was in eon flux atomic blonde uh and the old guard which we're going to get to later and some of these she's been in the main starring role some of these she's been one of the you know the high-end secondary characters but she has really built up quite a lot of action movies in her her repertoire. So what do you think? Is Charlize Theron the top action movie star right now, or do you have other other candidates? Well, I think she might be, but I, I was thinking about the question, and um, besides Helen Mirren in red, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that uh, one person that might have uh, a say in the discussion would be Emily Blunt. Mm. Um, I think the way that Emily Blunt approaches action movies is slightly different. Yeah. Maybe than what Charlize Theron is doing. Uh, you think about Sicario, um, where she plays really like a very, uh, tortured person mm-hmm. just mentally who's just struggling with having to do what needs to be done in her role. But she's still, she's still in an action role, but it's very much that, that tortured mental angst kind of mm-hmm which I think we also saw in the, in a quiet place Mm. um, because Mm. the movie goes through and you don't necessarily see her as the main protagonist or the main protector. But by the end of the film, she's kind of taken over that role. not going to say too much spoiler wise in case anyone hasn't seen it yet. Um, But that's carrying over into a quiet place part two that's coming out. Yeah. Um, And then I also, uh, Thought about Live, Die, Repeat, slash Edge of Tomorrow, slash whatever the heck they want to <laughs> actually end up deciding to call it. Um, and she's definitely like the main action mm-hmm. hero superstar in that universe, in that world. Like they have yeah. billboards up to her. She is the main person. She's the focus of everything. Mm-hmm. And 
it's interesting, even con- contrasting with her, with Charlize, that I don't think either of them are necessarily like these physically imposing, mm-hmm. like scary people. They're just good actresses. Yeah. <laughs> and they've been willing to stretch themselves and take on these kind of roles. Um, Theron has obviously done other kinds of roles too, like Monster and and other things where she's really delved into more the psychological end of things and and acted. But she's also done these things, and it's interesting to see all the kinds of different roles she's taken on, and the fact that she has taken on more of these action roles as she's gone along. Yeah, it's interesting, and I think bringing up Emily Blunt is a great is a great foil to this too, because I, she does have a mantle, and she does have a case for being one of the top. Well, she's definitely one of the top, but she has a case for being the top. I mean, you can also factor in Looper, was another mm-hmm. great uh, great time travel sci fi action movie. So, um, she has quite a resume as well. Um, it's interesting with Charlize is is that I think a lot of her action roles have been kind of similar in that she plays like the lone, almost, especially the ones where she's the star, is she plays this kind of lone wolf character who is no nonsense, um, kind of um, imposed upon, who just will not take any crap and really just, hey, let's get the job done. Let's do what needs to be do. I'm I, unflappable. Um, so you see that, you see that in Mad Max. Um, you see that in Atomic Blonde. Um, you see it even in the old guard. Um, so I think there's a similarity to her roles that makes her really good at that. Um, I just, you know, you were talking about the physically imposing nature and how the that neither one of these actresses are particularly imposing. I, I cannot think of that without thinking about Atomic Blonde. She uh-huh. gets absolutely beat up to oblivion in Atomic Blonde. Um, and that's almost one of the criticisms of that film is that it's hard to believe that a woman could take that much punishment <laughs> and, and still be taken. I mean, anyone, yeah. seriously, anyone could take that much punishment. It's crazy. Um, but I really love that movie. And I, I do think, I think when I, when I compare the two, I would say personally, I think Emily Blunt might be a little bit of a better actress overall. I think her roles in some of the romantic movies and the comedies and, and stuff like that, I think the breadth of what she can produce might be a little bit better. But in terms of action, in terms of action stars, I think if we're gonna go based on purely on resume, Charlie's might take uh, might take the cake on this, but Emily Blunt's also a little younger too. So I think there is certainly a role for her to eventually end up at the, at the top of this role. So we'll see. I think it's also interesting that when you look at action movies in general, uh, there seem to be a lot more guys who are just kind of straight up action stars. Mm-hmm. It's not really a th- thing when it comes to actresses necessarily yeah i think that's why like the recognition is being given to charlie's because you look at other actresses like gina carano or ronda rousey who has done a few things and like they're just straight up action yeah even uh gina rodriguez i think would fall into that Mm. category potentially um 
that they're not necessarily like broad uh, actresses. Um, yeah. And I, I think for, for whatever reason it is, there needs to be more of that depth when it comes to uh, a woman being recognized in that kind of role, whether that's fair or not, it's probably not fair. I mean, that there are guys out there who can just literally be in movies and not necessarily be good at acting at all, but they still make a ton of money for being in movies with explosions, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, and I think you have started to see an uptick in um, action movies starring women. Um, Some of them are good and some of them are not as good, Um, but you are starting to see, see more of more of those type of roles um and it seems that charlie's has really taken um advantage of those increased um female action stars and has certainly done well with it and her characters are are really dynamic in terms of um their believability i think in action and yeah so it's it, it will be interesting to see see what happens going forward. So I would say that probably at this moment, Charlize is probably at the top of the game uh, with Emily Blunt right right behind her. And that's just in terms of action. All right. So are you ready for your watch list? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So why don't you go, what, what were you watching last week and what did you think of it? Uh, so I watched The Old Guard. And we had talked about yes. watching that. And uh, so this is interesting because we haven't had this conversation pre-recording and we would usually probably have this conversation yes. pre-recording. So I know it's coming <laughs> and I don't look like an idiot. Um, but uh, so I, I, I'll, I'll start at the beginning of the movie and I would, I would venture to guess that very much like me, after about 10 minutes of the movie, you were like, this is stupid. like how does this make any how does this make any sense like this elite team led by this badass woman who for some reason has an axe and they don't ever cover their faces and they have no backup like this this doesn't make any sense like what's going on here and then everything changed about 10 minutes in the movie and i are we giving spoilers here or Let's let's give a spoiler warning first. Yes, we are going to talk about the old guard now, and we are going to give away a few spoilers. So if you uh, have not seen it and would like to, um, then skip over this. We'll particular. count down from three. Three, two, one. Okay, spoilers of the old guard are coming. Okay. Um, then about ten minutes into the movie, they are completely obliterated in this in this room, and you're like well that's not the end of the movie obviously so something's gonna happen here now i wasn't quite sure what was happening i was kind of throwing a couple theories around in my head like um is is there a duplicate version of these people uh are they going to come back to life like what's exactly going on it turns out that the hit squad led by Charlize theron uh they don't have to cover their faces and they can carry these medieval weapons because they're immortal and uh they regenerate and can come back to life and that kind of just like that changed the whole movie instantly for me from this is awful and terrible and I don't understand what's happening to oh this is interesting and and a little different. And uh by no means did I think it was like 
a super movie. Like it's 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 not like a five star movie. Um, probably not even a four star movie, but it's it's in that three to three and a half star range in my opinion. I think it's very solid, and um, it's very interesting seeing Netflix start to navigate that space. I don't know if you felt this, but I felt kind of like the space between how a TV show would look and feel and the space between how a movie looks and feels. I feel like Netflix is starting to navigate through that space. And so it's not quite one and it's not quite the other. It kind of feels like it's caught in both worlds in certain ways. Um, but I, I thought overall the acting was pretty, pretty top notch. Um, I think some of the some of the visuals could have been improved. And I think that's part of what I was talking about with, with being between a television show feel and a movie feel. Um, but I saw progress in, uh, in kind of what they're going for as a, as a studio with the movie. And I thought uh, Theron was very, very well done in the movie. Yeah, I think, uh, I think Theron picks up like as I was talking about earlier, right in the line of some of her other characters, the kind of stoic, uh, strong, powerful, kind of jaded uh, type of character. Um, I I was I was mixed on it. Um, I thought there were some real positives to come out of it, and I guess I'll start with some of the positives. I think I do think some of the acting was quite well, was quite well done. Um, there were interesting elements to the story. Um, the concept of, of people who are, are relatively immortal um, and led to some interesting scenes where people are intentionally, you know, intentionally getting shot or intentionally killing themselves because they know they can, they will be revived and they will get back up. And whenever you play with that immortality um, versus mortal dynamic, you can always create some interesting elements. And I thought they delved into that a little bit. Um, some of my main oh, oh one more one more thing I really liked about it is I liked I liked what they set up as the 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 you know kind of the the bad guy philosophy versus the good guy philosophy and I think it was encapsulated kind of almost halfway through the movie exactly um, when Merrick the you know the kind of villain as it were of the movie. Um, captures two of the immortals and wants to basically torture them to figure out the secrets and he basically he says something to the effect of you have secrets in your dna and it is our it is moral for us to take them from you to benefit all of humankind and so really playing with that idea of of collective good versus individual rights and and i, I enjoyed that interplay um, on the downside, I really thought uh, almost any and all plot was sandwiched into the last 20 minutes of the movie. Because for the most part, these immortals just kind of are out there for the majority of the movie. You don't really know that much about them. You don't really, there's no moment where you're like, okay, I should care about these people. Mm. I should care about what they're doing. Because they weren't doing anything. The whole plot is basically, we exist as immortals. Oh, there's some people who now have decided they want to capture us. I guess we'll try to avoid capture and rescue each other. So in terms of like an overarching plot, there wasn't a whole lot there. There just wasn't. I mean, 
they basically waited until something happened, you know, you know, halfway through the movie before you got any sort of sense as to where the movie was headed or why. So I really thought the first half of the movie left a lot to be desired. Um, when they got around to having some of the plot points and the philosophical discussions and some of those type of things, I thought it was positive. Um, but really it spent the first whole half of the movie just kind of wandering around. I kind of felt like the, um, as far as the downside goes, the introducing the characters as immortal and then saying, oh, but they can die was like, that was kind of a cop out to me. Like, it, um, I, I look at it as an emotional crutch when it comes to the movie writing, because I think that if you introduce the characters as immortal and that's it, they're immortal, like you've got to come up with some kind of way for there to be something at stake. Yeah. And I felt like the introduction of, oh, but we don't know how long you'll be immortal for and you might die at any moment was mm -hmm. kind of just like them introducing a, the stakes somehow. Yeah. And, and it seemed kind of like a cheat <laughs> to me. Yeah, and it really seems like the film was set up to be uh, part of a series. Because oh, it definitely ends expecting a second movie to happen. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. There's like there's whole there's pieces of the whole plot um, and backstory that never get resolved in any way, shape, or form because I think they're leading to that somewhere in the future. So it's pretty clear that this is designed to be a multi-film series. And based on the reaction to this one to this point, it would I think it would be unsurprising if there was another one. Yeah. Uh, in the near future. Yeah. So I, I would say it was okay. It wasn't bad by any stretch, but it definitely, it definitely leaves something um, in terms of the, the, the plot element on that, I would say. So, all right, what else did you watch? Um, I also watched a movie called, excuse me, Game Night, which I had not seen uh, yes. before. And uh, it's, I think it's very rare that you find good adult comedy that is actually adults being adults and not adults acting like children, yes. <laughs> which I think is a lot of adult comedy. And there's yes. not necessarily anything wrong with that. It can be super funny. Um, but it, that, that's what I saw when I watched Game Night. I saw a movie with adults acting like adults and like them being scared like how adults would be and then being arrogant or blind to what's actually going around on around them like adults would be and setting themselves up for surprise and and bad things happening mm -hmm. <laughs> like i think a lot of us would if we were in a similar situation and i i like i i didn't know a whole lot about the movie before i saw it and i thought it was very well done very funny very tightly written and well acted and um I think they disguised the plot just enough. You kind of, you, you kind of had an idea of what was happening, but I think they disguised the why it was happening pretty well until near the end of the movie. And I got to say, it, I'm assuming have you, you've seen this movie. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, the, the character of the police detective. Yes. The deadpan police detective. <laughs> might, like, that might be one of the funniest characters I've seen in any movie. And it's because he is so not funny. Yes. That it makes him hilarious mm -hmm. because he makes everyone uncomfortable 
and all he wants to do is be somebody's friend. <laughs> and he just says the most absurd, like they're absurd things, but they're just like blatant, like facts about the other people's lives. Like when they're bringing the groceries in, oh, I see you have three bags of Tostitos scoops. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> like, yeah. I thought he was great in that yeah. in that smaller role that he played. Yeah, I think it is probably the best comedy I've seen in the last few years. There haven't been a lot that have come out that have been really good, but that was probably the best one in the last few years. And Jason Bateman and Rachel McAdams are awesome. Yes. And, and Kyle Chandler is also quite good in it, too. I mean, the acting is pretty top-notch across the board, I would say, especially for a comedy. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Anything else? Uh, I also watched Serenity, which is the follow-up movie to the TV show Firefly. Yes. Which I had never watched all the way through until this last week. And we finished the last episode, and I watched the movie. And it's funny that we were talking about Zack Snyder being mad at Joss Whedon before because Joss, we- Joss Whedon is back again. <laughs> and uh, in some ways, he was faced, I think, with an impossible task to try and not only wrap up what he had done with the TV show, but also introduced people who had not seen the TV show. And I was really wondering how he was going to accomplish that. Um, and if he was even going to address it and uh, they do spend the first probably 10 minutes of serenity kind of setting the background the stage of what's actually going on. So it's really interesting because if you haven't seen the TV show, you actually know what's happening in the movie. But if you have seen the TV show, it's kind of like you've read the book be- that came before the movie. So, like, you, it, you're at the same level, but you have a deeper level of understanding of what all is happening in the interplay between people. And it's funny how I also talked about earlier the difference between how a TV show is presented and how a movie is presented. And to me, it was almost, I don't, it was a little jarring to see the difference the subtle differences between how it was shot as a TV show and how the movie was shot, because there are differences. Yeah. Like you're on the same ship, but it feels different. Mm -hmm. And so I think it took me a little while to adjust to like the bigness of what was happening in the movie. But I thought the characters were written the same way as they were in the TV show. They stayed true to themselves. And it's very, very rare that a movie can surprise me or make me upset. And when Wash got impaled by the Reavers thing, it's one of the few times I can remember in a long time where I said no out, audibly out loud at a character dying because I didn't see it coming and I didn't want it to happen. Yeah. That doesn't happen very often. And I think that was probably built on my investment with the TV show mm-hmm. of knowing more about who that character was and his relationships with people on the ship and why it was so important. So I think that he did a pretty good job of trying to wrap things up. Obviously you would want a longer amount of time. Ideally. What, what do you think about what he was able to accomplish with? Yeah, movie? I think uh, I, I was, I was very pleased with the movie. I thought it was, I thought it was quality. I thought it was well done. And I thought it gave you a nice, a nice wrapped up succinct idea of, Hey, here's what, here's what this was, you know, because it was a one season TV show that people loved, but didn't get a second season. And so 
to be able to distill into a movie the essence of what this was about, um, I think it captured it really well. Also, I, I enjoyed the subject matter he chose for the movie to explain the origin of the bad guys in the TV show because when you're watching the TV show, that's one of the biggest questions, I think. Like, where'd these people come from? Why are they this bad? And I think that that was maybe the biggest question that needed to be answered. And I think that him choosing that as the material for the movie was a wise decision. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, this past week, um, I had a fun experience with a movie I watched. Um, I got to watch Field of Dreams in an actual baseball stadium. So one of the, the interesting things about the pandemic is there's no minor league baseball. And so all these little independent league, minor league, you know, whatever teams are trying to figure out, well, what do we do with a summer where we have no revenue? So uh, the local uh, baseball team here in Lancaster, Lancaster Barnstormers, has been doing movie nights every weekend. And so you get your lawn chair, you sit out on the lawn, you watch movies. And so when I saw that Field of Dreams was coming out, to actually watch Field of Dreams in a baseball stadium, surrounded by all the baseball ambiance. I was like, this must be watched. Uh, <laughs> it's such a fantastic movie. I love, I love, love, love Field of Dreams. Um, it's, it's such an epic in a small way, like the power of vision, the power mm. of seeing something and making it come to life, how you take something and, and create a reality out of it. Plus just the love of baseball and the love of sport and, uh, it was fun and it was a great experience. It was a great time. Um, if you get a chance to do some of these interesting little different venues, we talked, we talked about drive-ins last week. This is another one of those categories. Take, take advantage of them. It creates some, some interesting memories. My mom just sent me an article about an inflatable movie screen that they're going to put on a river and you, there are going to be boats that you can watch the movie. Oh, that's and, and it's coming to Pennsylvania. <laughs> That's fantastic. I love it. <laughs> That'll be interesting. Field, Field of Dreams is such a good movie, and it, it's, uh, it's a bittersweet movie for me because it reminds me of when I was a kid and baseball was the only sport I cared about and uh, just the love of the game. And, I mean, through no fault of Field of Dreams, but a lot of what's been happening recently with baseball has turned me off to the game a lot, unfortunately. And um, I, I contrasted with – the rise of my love for soccer like baseball has slipped down it, and it's, it's no longer my favorite sport and it's not in my top two maybe not in my top three anymore and so watching field of dreams reminds me of when i was a kid playing little league baseball and it was the only thing that i cared about yeah yeah so that was great that was a great experience and uh and the, another movie I watched this past week was also baseball related since the baseball season was kicking off i watched Moneyball. And Moneyball is, Moneyball is such a good movie. It's so well done. I mean, Aaron Sorkin is a fantastic scriptwriter. I mean, everything is tight and, and it, it makes sense. And it is, it's just such a great movie. Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill are fantastic. That story of the 2002 A's team is, is just such a fantastic story. And especially now to see it this much later, where now all of baseball is where that team was in 2002. 
um, it's just a fantastic story. I've read the, I've read the book uh, previously as well. And it's just a classic. I come to it every baseball season. It's, it's so weird for me to see people acting as Scott Hatterberg and, and David Justice and yes. <laughs> people who I've seen play baseball and know what they really look like. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, it's very weird. But yeah, overall, it's definitely a solid, solid film. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's move on and we'll quickly cover. Uh, what, do you, what are you watching this week? Uh, well, I subscribed to a not HBO Max yet because I can't watch it on my Roku, but um, the HBO channel through Amazon Prime, which has like the HBO mm-hmm. content on it. Yeah. So I, I'm going to look through there and find a few movies to watch. I haven't settled on anything specific yet but there's a lot on there <laughs> mm-hmm. that i could watch so i'm hoping to i i think my goal this week is to find two or three movies that would be considered classic movies that i haven't seen yet mm. and there are a lot of candidates there so we'll mm-hmm. see what happens yeah i'm uh <laughs> i've managed to once again not watch uncut gems yeah so <laughs> We're gonna but see. It's it. funny. It's funny that you say that because um, my brother also said he was gonna watch that, and he sent me a message five minutes into the movie saying, "I feel like I'm having a panic attack," <laughs> and I said, "It gets so much worse." <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see if we'll see if I get around to it this week. I also I recorded the uh, off YouTube TV. I recorded the uh, the Mad Max Fury Road uh, Black and Chrome edition. So I'm interested to see if the black and chrome edition that black and white how much that changes the film because color was a big big piece of Mm -hmm. of mad max fury road so i'm going to try that out and see what see what that looks like and i I own both versions of that movie so i'll definitely have some thoughts when you uh watch that one we talk about that next week and uh last week the uh i downloaded the the new peacock app Mm -hmm. and they had the born movies on there so i watched the first two of the born movies so i will probably do the Bourne ultimatum also this week to wrap up the original trilogy. Jason Bourne is a stud. <laughs> For sure. You don't want to make him angry. No, you won't like him when he's angry. <laughs> All right, that's a different character. Okay. Cat Damon. <laughs> that's another movie altogether. <laughs> hey, we just love movies so much. We can't only well, mention one. We got to reference I, at least three. I think at this point that certainly means we're uh, we're getting ready to wrap up here. <laughs> I, I think we're both yeah. a little tired. <laughs> I think we're at that point. Uh, but thank you for checking out the podcast. So we encourage you to subscribe to the podcast. It's on iTunes and Stitcher and Spotify and all the major podcast apps. So subscribe, share the podcast, tell your friends about it, leave us a review. Uh, we would love to hear what you think about the podcast. And until next time, have fun at the movies. Keep rolling that film.